Hello and welcome to Fat Free Film. Yes, Fat Free Film is now resurrected. Um, Fat Free Film was a podcast in the early 2000s before podcasts were really a thing. Uh, people didn't have iPhones, people didn't have Android phones, and it was the indie film podcast. So I invite you to look back through our library. We have probably 80 interviews in there with all kinds of incredible film directors, actors, costumers, everybody every position you can think of uh, in the film industry. Um, we interviewed Peter Bogdanovich, Leonard Nimoy, uh, Karen Black, Patricia Arquette, just tons of just incredible people with incredible knowledge about the film industry. And so today I'm starting it back up again. I've been meaning to do this for some time. I've been hosting a show called Lunch Therapy. I invite you to go to YouTube, go to Joel Marshall's Lunch Therapy and subscribe there. It's a comedy show, but I also do interviews. This interview is from that show. It is with the veteran casting director, Rick Pagano. And Rick Pagano, if, if some of you don't know, he uh, ran a thing called Pagano Manwiller, which is a, a big casting office in town in Los Angeles. He's worked with all kinds of producers and directors, including James Cameron, Catherine Bigelow, Oliver Stone, Jerry Bruckheimer, Cameron Crowe, Gus Van Sant, David E. Kelly, James Brooks, Mark Gordon. So television people, film people. His company cast more than 90 feature films, including The X-Men 3, Hotel Rwanda, Rudy, Drugstore Cowboy, Alien Resurrection, Point Break, Say Anything. Yeah. And then also television They've won two Emmys, and they've been nominated for, for several other Emmys. Um, they've done things like um, Chicago Hope and 24 and Picket Fences and just The Blacklist, Altered Carbon for Netflix. And um, he's also cast over 100 productions of theater here in the U.S. at the La Jolla Playhouse, Lincoln Center, um, just all over the place. He, he also did the Tony Award-winning production of Big River that was on Broadway. So, you know, we as actors, we don't get a lot of chance to talk to casting directors. We go in, we audition, or now we audition over the Internet. We don't really get a lot of feedback. Even if we get the part, we don't even know, like, why we got the part. <laughs> so this is a rare chance to be able to talk to somebody, find out, you know, what it takes if you're an aspiring actor or an actor who's been around for a long time and trying to figure out how to get you know, more work, this is um, some really good information for that. So without further ado, this is my interview with casting director Rick Pagano. All right, here we are with Rick Pagano. Thanks so much, Rick, for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Anytime. I am so glad to talk to a casting director um, because a lot of times as actors, we are feel like we're kind of in the dark when it comes to auditions, especially, you know, when I started out in this business, we would go into a room, you'd audition for a casting director, you'd leave, and you just really never had any kind of uh, understanding of what happened, really, um, from the other end. And uh, you'd get something like a call maybe from your, your agent who would say some kind of vague comment about how it went. You know, I talked to the casting director and they thought this. But um, it was really just kind of clues a lot of times, trying to figure out what's going on. So I'm really glad to have you here. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Um, I want you know, a lot of casting directors, they come at it from, a different, from different angles. You know, actors, you know, generally there's kind of a path to be an actor, I suppose. But as far as casting directors go, I find that they're all over the map as far as where they came from. And, and you came from a literary background, is that right? Mm-hmm. Right. Tell me something about that. I, I went to grad school in literature. I was doing my doctorate at Columbia University, and I was teaching there. And I um, had a feeling I was not in the right place. I took a year off and went to Paris. And I needed a visa. I needed a cheap visa so that I could stay there for more than 90 days. And the cheapest visa was with the, Comedy, the school for the Comédie Française, the National Conservatory of Dramatic Art. So I talked my way in. And um, I worked from eight o'clock at night to eight in the morning as a night guard at a hotel. And then I would 
pop myself full of coffee and go to these acting classes. And wow. I just fell in love with acting and directing and came back to America, returned to New York and decided that I wanted to change my focus completely. Initially, it I went from studying Shakespeare and early English drama to modern drama, finished my orals and writtens um, and then um, for the PhD, and then started drifting into doing getting theater jobs. Wow. And I got um, my first job I got by walking up to 42nd, uh, taking the subway to 42nd Street and walking through an entire building and holding out a resume that had basically nothing on it and saying, hi, I'm here looking for work. And I figured the easiest way was just to walk in. I got a job the first day working with a company that was doing uh, Buried Child the original product, the New York production. Sam that Shepard. Won the Pulitzer Prize. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And we won the Pulitzer Prize the day, the play won the Pulitzer Prize the day after we closed. So we had to shut down. And then I got a job. I managed to get a job at the Pittsburgh Public Theater because of my literary background, being the uh, uh, literary manager of the theater, the producer of new plays, and the casting director. And I just ended up drifting into casting because it was an easier way to make a living. I wasn't independently wealthy. And um, so I started casting for them. And then I cast for the Mark Taper Forum. And then I went off on my own and became an independent casting director. How different is it doing casting plays from casting movies and television? And I'm sure it's changed a lot over the years. But uh, mm. what is the audition process like? How is it different? Because I remember when I was a, did a lot of theater, um, they had different criteria, I felt, when you went in to audition for a play. From, the point of, from our point of view, the, we're looking for how someone fills a stage and fills a space. Mm -hmm. And it's very different when you do film, film and TV. It's much more about how the camera comes to you. So, you know, instead of sending it out to the world, it's about letting the camera come to you. Another way of saying it is... Um, when you, with theater, with theater, you're you're pushing it out, you're sending it out. With film, you're it's about what you hide in film and television, as compared to what you show. Oh, that's interesting. Did you get actors that were film actors or television actors auditioning for a play, and they couldn't give you that different kind of use of the space? A lot of times, that was a big problem. Actors are in Los Angeles when we were casting for theater. A lot of actors were being so filmic. And the directors just weren't, didn't understand how to bring them out. And they may not have, in many cases, had, they may not have had the technique to, again, we're talking in real generalizations. Yeah. There's a lot of nuance in, in this, but yeah. in general, yeah. Yeah. Um, New York actors were better at doing theater and Los Angeles actors tended to be better doing film and television. I think that difference has, has decreased in the last 10 or 15 years. Okay. Where were you from originally? I was born in Brooklyn, yeah. raised in Long Island, went to college in Vermont, and then grad school in New York at Columbia. So I was in New York, and then I went out to Los Angeles to cast for the taper and stayed out there for 36 years. Wow. What kind of a kid were you? I was a dork, <laughs> and really shy, Yeah. You know, kind of, you know, sort of smart, but not, not a genius at all. I was just a high school kid who was really into being the newspaper editor and the year was the yearbook editor. Uh, you know, I was the class treasurer. I wasn't the class president because that would have required someone to, who's popular. Yeah. I was the treasurer. The treasurer. The yeah. I've been the, the treasurer before. Definitely. Yeah, I was that was good at math. <laughs> yeah. So you, so I met you recently and I found out that my wife knows you, but I had never met you until just a few weeks ago. And I, one of the things that struck me about you, which was really uh, invigorating, I guess, as an actor, or inspiring, was that you have a kind of rebel quality about you. Um, at least, you know, in my, that's my first takeaway from you. And where do you think you gained that kind of quality? Because if you were, you know, kind of a nerdy kid, kind of maybe quiet, um, somewhere along the line, do you think it was when you took your resume around in that building, you were like, I got to, because that's a different kind of move than being the treasurer. Well, I, I think I've always been a little bit of a, a, there's always been a part of me that's been a bit of an outsider. I'm a writer. I write quite a lot. And someone, a very famous writer once was asked why writers write. And mm -hmm. he answered, I think most writers write because they weren't invited to the party. 
<laughs> and it's a great, that. and I think I was just never invited to the party. And so, yeah. you know, I went, I mean, I went, I went to France when I was 16 on a scholarship and I didn't stay at the school. I would go out and play soccer with these, the guys from town. I would sort of escape the school, you know, which was a breaking of rules. Yeah. I broke the, and I broke the rules when I went to Paris when I was 25, you know, when I was uh, in grad school, I was supposed to finish the doctorate and I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't um, adhere to the plan. And I think I've always been, and I get, it gets you in trouble sometimes. I've been fired yeah, more than once. Really? I yeah, like so that. I like that. I don't, felt like I wasn't invited to the party. I feel like that sometimes too. Like, and sometimes I'm like, I'm going to do it anyway. I don't care. <laughs> and, uh, so Bad. It's not it was a bad thing. Yeah. I uh, moved to Chicago to work with Steppenwolf and I didn't, you know, I didn't call them first. <laughs> I just went there and, uh, you know, I gave them my, my resume and they were like, you'll never work here. And I was like, here's my phone number. And they called me that night and I worked there for two years. So I find that a lot of times you got to go there and you got to just be like, you know, yeah. this is me. I want to do this. Otherwise, you'll never be heard or they won't even think about you. And that was one of the things, one of the messages that you were giving the other day, which I found. We are, our industry, I mean, the so society important. in general, the society in general doesn't, doesn't encourage you to break the rules or to do anything that might single you out. And certainly our industry is the same way. You're not supposed to, there are all these rules that you're supposed to follow. Yeah. But I don't know who wrote the rules and the rules are rules that are written by people who aren't necessarily um, looking to your interests as yeah. if you're an actor, for example. Mm -hmm. So I encourage people to not always listen to what it is that industry people tell them, even myself. If, it, um, if, if what I say isn't serviceable to you, don't do it. Yeah. You know, there's a, that old William Goldman thing that says uh, nobody knows anything. Um, and and it seems to always be true <laughs> in the film industry that nobody or the, the entertainment industry is that everybody acts like they know everything, <laughs> but they don't necessarily know. And I'm finding that out a lot recently because because of the Zoom capabilities that we have now, I've been meeting more and more casting directors. So it's not as mm -hmm. such a black box anymore. I get to see each one of them and hear what they have to say. And a lot of times I'm finding that they have different rules, casting directors. Is there, I know there's the Casting Society of America, but do casting directors get together and say, this is how we're going to do things? Or is it like a bunch of rogue people working in this industry? Well, I think obviously the CSA has certain rules about how to behave, but I also think that there are casting offices that do things their own way. They're, they all have idiosyncrasies. Yeah. And, um, you know, for example, I had a rule when I was working with Sharon with uh, my part, my ex-partners, Sharon Vialli and Debbie Manwiller, that you didn't want to, I didn't want to keep actors waiting for more than 20 minutes. Because mm. when they, if they have to wait more than 20 minutes, their energy begins to flag, they begin to get impatient and they don't do good work. Yeah. So not only is it impolite to the actor, but it's, it's actually detrimental to the process. Mm -hmm. I also think that being friendly to actors, you know, the most, my first job at the Pittsburgh Public Theater, my artistic director, Ben Shackman, I, I think I was casting, I was my first job was casting like 47 roles wow. in two weeks. Was that Big and River? Was that no, no. just before Big River? Mm -hmm. This was before we did Big River. No, uh, Pittsburgh Public was um, we were doing The Seagull and we were doing Mr. Roberts. Mr. Roberts had 30 people and The Seagull had, I think, 17. <laughs> and I was terrified and didn't know what I was doing and, yeah. and I hadn't slept. And the first day of auditions came around and I said, What do I do? What do I do? And my artistic director, who's now good friend Ben said you go outside you shake hands with each actor you smile and you say is there anything I can get you wow and he said and that will make them feel at home and they'll do a better job and he's right you treat an actor well and it's just good business you know you did another interesting thing that uh, well originally you did it but you also did it here in Los Angeles as you went over to the Beverly Hills Playhouse and started taking class is that right mm-hmm as a director, yeah. And is that a common thing to do for casting directors to put themselves in a situation where they're going to be around a whole bunch uh, of actors? And you know, some people, I mean, for me, I directed a play when I was. In, I directed one play that I translated from French to English when I was still in New York. But it was really hard to get a, a career going as a director unless 
you had someone supporting you financially yeah. and I didn't. So um, the casting was a way to make a living. And I think there are people like that. I know that April Webster, for example, directs sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people who want to dip their hands into directing. Yeah. And you've directed several plays, right? I've directed a lot of plays, about two dozen plays, 10 of them mine. Yeah. And then uh, many more by other people. And, um, and one of my plays has been turned into a movie that I'm negotiating a distribution deal on right now. And another one, there are another two that are in process. Of Can you tell us about that movie is, um, that you just did recently? Um, actually, we did it a while ago, but I just oh. finished being post on it. Um, yeah. It was a play and then and it closed and a lawyer friend of ours was uh, at closing night and he sent an email to 125 people. Yeah. Come see the play. And I said, I called him and said, Steve, it's closed. Yeah. And he, what do you mean? I don't understand closed. I said, you know, we've taken down the sets and we <laughs> sent the actors home. It's and over. It's over. And so yeah. he said, I'll give you some money. Why don't you make a movie out of it? And I said, I I I'll make a movie out of it if you give me some money. Yeah. And so he gave me some money and I had some money saved up and we pulled our money and we made the movie. We shot it in nine days. Wow. And nine days. Yeah, we shot the film in nine days. Whoa. My first day of shooting, I think I shot 17 and a half pages, That's which really impressed my cinematographer. <laughs> and my, my crew was very suspicious of me until after that first day. Yeah. Then they liked me because they said he moves fast. Anyway, we got we we did it, and then I did I finished the post last year, and it's gotten into a couple. Of, it's gotten into six festivals, and it just won best film at the Beverly Hills Playhouse. Be Beverly Hills Playhouse. That's the th that's, that's the theater. Beverly Hills Film Festival. It <laughs> yeah. won best film and best editing at the Beverly Hills Film Festival, and so now I'm in the middle of trying to make a deal on that. Wow, that's fantastic! Congratulations. Thanks. So um, this is one of the things that I wondered about. And as actors, we go into auditions and we think, oh, they're wanting. I'm just speaking generally here. I guess I'm speaking about myself. Originally, when I started going into audition for things, I was like, I want to try and be what they want me to be. And I'm not what I want, they want me to be. And I've got to try and be it. And so it was like a, it was an inner struggle that I was having that was you know, driving me crazy. Uh, one of the things that helped me was saying, I'm just going to go in there and try and help them tell their story. Do mm -hmm. you think that being a literary person, being a writer, um, coming from a story viewpoint has helped you as a casting director? I think so. Although a lot of times, certainly more recently, I don't think writers and directors and producers are that interested in the opinion of a casting director. <laughs> really? Really? Can you yeah. tell me something about what it's like to work with the directors um, on, you know, directors and then also, I guess, showrunners? Can you tell us the maybe both of the different processes, television? I'm calling it television now. Film and TV, for my mind, and even film and TV are very different. And, yeah. and I really invested my time in wanting to do movies, which is probably a bad bet because television apparently is taking over and there are fewer feature films being made now. But um, in feature films, you generally have a director that you work with. That's the person you work with. Yeah. And it's up to you and the director, mostly the, the director, but you work with the director and then you go to a producer who either says yes or no. The, um, again, this is, I'm making big generalizations. I know, here. but I think the thing is, understanding the process of it is really helpful for us. TV, TV is very different. It's mostly yeah. the writers who are the producers and the showrunners, and they're the ones who make the decisions. The director is basically a guest star for the most part. Most TV directors will tell you that. They use the same nomenclature for that. Mm -hmm. And, and um, you know, it's really about the guys who are there every week uh, creating a style. They're the ones, the creators of the show, the showrunners, the writers, they're the ones who make the decisions about casting. And um, they mostly, they want to see, you know, they feel that television is about what you see. So they don't want to do an offbeat. They don't want to do some, something that's offbeat casting. For example, if you brought in someone who normally plays the bad guy in a lot of roles yeah. and you bring him in for uh, a good guy role, they'll look, they'll, they think I'm crazy. Mm -hmm. I did it on Drugstore Cowboy where I brought in James Remar, who had been only playing bad guy roles, mm -hmm. to, have, to have him play the good role, the guy, that, the role of the cop. 
And Gus Van Sant, who was a smart director, yeah. loved it and ended up casting James as a good guy. And wow. since then, Remar has been playing, you know, mostly good guys. What was that like working on Drugstore Cowboy? I mean, that's a classic film. A lot of fun. Did you yeah, know fun. that it was going to, did it, was it a tiny film at the time or did you know it was going to get? Oh, yeah, it was a small film. Small film. And did you work on it from the beginning, like you said, with the director and yeah, then brought it the out beginning. to people? Yeah. Well, the only person who was cast was Matt Dillon. Mm-hmm. Matt was cast, but the other three roles, Kelly Lynch and Heather Graham and James um, um, Legro were all we found. Wow. And what is your process for, I mean, I know it's, it's changed a lot and maybe we can talk about that, the casting process. Um, but how do you keep track of all those actors? Do you have like a filing cabinet? Do you have a thing on your computer? Is it just, you know, um, remember how, all of them? Yeah. It must be impossible because there's so many that come and go. Oh, yeah. I don't really. know how you do it. So what do you do to, and, and is it just sometimes you rely on kind of what, what is on your mind at this time or some performances that you've seen recently? I mean, how do you, you keep track? Lists. You go through, you go through lists, you get, you go through submissions, but you also go through lists of actors. You can use IMDb. Yeah. I still on occasion, if I'm really scrambling for something, um, I have an old copy of the player's guide, the Academy directory. Really? And I'll just flip through A to Z just, and it helps you come up with, you know, someone named Michael. Yeah. You know, Michael Thompson reminds me of Michael Morrison. Yeah. And suddenly I'm going through a I'm in my head, I'm thinking of people named Michael who might be right for the role. Yeah. It's about triggering. It's about trying to find triggers for your memory. That's really what it's about. You know, it you seems like that's the way the creative process is too, right? It's a lot of times it's a lot messier than you think. It is. It's messy. You know? Yeah, that's interesting. So you that you do that, and then yeah. and and sometimes you remember people, you know, remember someone who would have been perfect for the role a week after you've cast the role, and then you want to hit your head because you think, why didn't I think of that person? Yeah, you know, one of the hardest things, and maybe you run across this too in this industry. One of the hardest things for actors is to not take things personally. Um, you know. Yeah. Well, the key is to not evaluate. The the, the evaluation is a really bad idea in general. You know, I think you well, I think too many actors go in and it's what you said at the beginning. Um, I think too many actors walk in, they do their audition and then they walk out and they ask their agent how they how they did. They're looking for feedback. Yeah. And I think looking for feedback is a really bad idea. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I think I think you do it. You're out. It's gone. It's done. Move on. Next. I think the job your job is to simply stand and deliver. Do the best you can do, and then let it go, because if you don't let it go, you're you're set trying to second guess yourself. Mm-hmm. What did I do wrong? What and you didn't do anything wrong. You have to. You may you can always be yeah. a better actor. Yeah. But instead of thinking about what I did wrong, you want to just do the best work you can do. Maybe there are some specific choices that you you didn't make that you could have made, but in general, it's a really bad idea to try to second guess what we're thinking. You may have done a brilliant audition, and we just find, thought that you're the wrong type or we've changed the role suddenly, instead of it being a man, it's a woman uh, or vice versa. Um, or someone's cast, the director's cast a role without telling the casting director and he's st- sitting there th- seeing 15 people for a role that's already cast. That happens, really? Sometimes, not often, but- Is yeah, it like sure a formality or is there some kind of SAG rule or something? No, there's no, no. But also, you know, there. You know, sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you just don't know, and it's too late. You find out on Tuesday morning at nine thirty that the role's cast, and people are coming in at ten. What are you going to do? Yeah. You you want to honor the fact that the actors prepared those roles, and so you do it. You you see the actor, and he maybe he's right for he or she is right for something else. Mm-hmm. Right. So you you do that. I just think that the evaluation is the problem. Too many actors are trying to second guess, and, and and you know, and you walk in the door, you walk in the door trying to be something that you think people want. Yeah. And it's, it's like that old saying about you know waiting mess. for your train to come in. Yeah. And you're, you know, you I'm I'm sitting there w- hoping my train comes in, and I'm waiting at the airport. You know what I mean? It's just not. <laughs> Wait a minute! You're wa- you're waiting at the airport. You're waiting for your train to come in, and you're waiting at the airport. That's that no way of saying you go in trying to you go in trying to do something that you think is what uh, we're looking for. Yeah. But not something that's integral and organic to you, something that you feel is your best choice. Yeah. So you go in and you make a choice that you think belongs to what they want. Mm-hmm. Trying to second guess them. Yeah. And all along, all they wanted to see was probably what your original choice was, what the choice that you would have made without trying to second guess them. 
Yeah. And Some, you would have been cast. Sometimes I find that it's better not to over, you know, overthink a script. You know, when you get a side, sometimes you want to you wanna be really aware of the, your first impulses um, as long as they are, you're understanding the story of the script because sometimes people, they second, like you said, they second-guess themselves. I also think when there's an important period of time from when you leave your car to when you get in the room that um, if you're second-guessing yourself along that way and in the room, it can be a real problem. What do you think? I just think I think that there's I think I'm going to say something that's going to sound really do like it. a cliche. Yeah. But then I want to follow it up with something that's more nuanced. Mm -hmm. I think that you have to walk in with a sense of yourself and try to just bring yourself into that. That's the yeah. generalization. That's the cliche. Yeah. Nuanced part of that is that Pirandello, for example, this famous Italian playwright, believed that we had multiple personalities, that we had a huge palette. Mm -hmm. And I think too many people have a very, very narrow notion of what that means to be yourself. Yeah, yeah. And I think that what you have to do is recognize and and develop, if you don't have it, as an actor, develop a palette that is huge. Mm -hmm. So that when I say just be yourself, the answer to that is well, which part, which, which, which particular shading are you looking for of myself yeah what part of it is that you want to bring in and that's that's when you begin to look at what the script says and what the character is and that's those elements of your palette are what you bring in mm -hmm. and focus on mm -hmm. so being yourself is really only the first half of the answer yeah the second half is understanding that and learning that your palette is much bigger than you may realize, or then you demonstrate in most, you know, most of your work. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that has changed over time too, that they want more, that uh, production now is looking for people that are more, you know, quote unquote, real, more uh, bring themselves as they are rather than try and be a perfect person. It seems like in the eighties, uh, you know, a lot of times in films, they were looking for people that were like perfect. Do you think that's true or do you think that's just a conception that I have? I think they're looking, I think people are looking for more interesting faces because there are too many, I mean, uh, there is a sense that some, uh, there's a kind of flatness to some faces. I know that I, I worked with um, Jean-Pierre Genet mm -hmm. on one of the Alien movies. Mm -hmm. Genet had done Amélie. Yeah. And, and Jean-Pierre was very frustrated because a lot of the American faces that he saw, he felt were very without character. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. that they were pretty people, the women and the men were pretty, but that there was no character to their faces. And so we had, to, we had a really interesting time looking for people who, I had a really interesting time trying to find people with faces that he would um, respond to. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably true about that particular director too. I mean, when, yeah. and, that, and that's I, kind I, of the I, strength. I, I mean, Amelie, you know, just shots of her face. Yeah. so important and prominent and he's such a visual director that uh sure and Catherine Bigelow it. also has a very very specific really? notion of what oh yeah very specific about what she's looking for um some directors have a very very specific you know uh type that they like mm -hmm. you um you worked on picket fences as well right did David E. Kelly what was he like to work with he was great. He was a, uh, that was another example. I had heard that the casting director that he had usually worked with was about to adopt a child and wouldn't be available. So I mm -hmm. called the general number at 20th Century Fox and he picked up, I mean, you know, and I asked for David Kelly and 45 seconds later, I got David on the phone and he said, send me a resume. And I faxed him a resume. And then a half an hour later, I got a phone call that we should come over and meet with him. And then we got the job and we did Picket Fences and Chicago Hope and one or two other projects with them. Yeah. Um, yeah. There are some great actors in Picket Fences, and um, yeah. did, we had a lot did, of fun. On them. Did you find these a lot of these actors? Did you find them yourselves? Um, as far as like like Elizabeth Moss is in it, and Don Cheadle, and there's some like incredible actors in this thing. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. um, where did you find some of these people fresh? Just like no one had ever seen them before. Mostly, yeah. I mean, not Kathy Baker. Yeah, and not, um, but. Yeah, a lot of them were people who hadn't really worked very much. Don Cheadle had gone to CalArts with Debbie, with my partner. Yeah. 
So, um, how are, what is the joy of being a cast director, casting director? What do you, where do you find joy in it the most? Well, that um, I think it it was it has been in the human contact, mm-hmm. um, but that's not something that you really see much of anymore. A lot of self tapes, and certainly yeah. in the last year and a half, we haven't been doing any in person auditions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's something interesting about you know panning for gold. Mm-hmm. I think there's there's a lot of uh, fun in you know you see thirty people and maybe twenty eight of them are may not be great. Yeah, you meet someone who's you meet two people who are new and really talented, and that's exciting. And you know? yeah, and what so it's a sense of discovery, I guess, of these you have people. What what can you I mean what can you tell an actor these days like with the way things are changed have changed. Things have changed a lot just in the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, people are doing, having to do their own self tapes. Um, when I look at, uh, when, you know, you look at the way casting is done now, it seems a little bit closer to going to Amazon and picking out products because everybody's just kind of in rows and listed and there's rows and rows and rows of people. Um, how can an actor stand out? How can they get themselves seen, get themselves in the room? Um, is there some kind of advice that you can give them? I think everybody's got to have a different, everyone's got to find a way to be inventive. I would say something that uh, I'll get into trouble for, but I would say just, you know, knock on doors. As soon as the pandemic's over, go knock on doors. Yeah. I think I told you the story already about Bradley Cooper Probably. five, six years ago when he was, he was on the David Letterman show for yeah. Silver, Lining Play, Silver Linings Playbook. And, Letterman asked him how he got his start. He said, I took 350 pictures and resumes. I put them in 350, 350 envelopes. And I went around to all the casting offices in Los Angeles and dropped them off. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's how. Now, you know, I'm sure that, you know, when at that time, everybody was saying you can't do that. That's my experience. Anytime I get a job, it's because I did something yeah. where people are like, you can't do that. Like I went to Century City one time because <laughs> there was a there was an office there, a production office for a show. And I went and got in the elevator in one of those high rises and went in and gave my headshot to this person sitting behind the desk. I mean, right? And like I mean, a year later, I got a job. Yeah. You know, a year later. But it was like, if I wouldn't have done that, you know, obviously I wouldn't have gotten a job. Yeah. I mean, we were doing, Debbie and I were doing um, 24. Yeah. We were doing Picket, Picket Fences, Chicago Hope. We're winning Emmys every year. Um, 24 was winning Emmys. Mm-hmm. And yet, we would find that at six or six thirty, we would set, have a session that was falling apart yeah. for the next morning. And a lot of times, if someone walked in at that moment and they looked remotely right, we'd set them up because yeah. they just have to walk in. Yeah. Um, so it's it's you have to be willing, I think, to be a little rebellious, break some of the rules. Mm-hmm. No, but you do it with charm. You do it with politeness. Yeah, you, you can't don't, be crazy. You don't be angrily, you don't do it aggressively. You can't be arrogant about it. Yeah. Someone doesn't want to, if someone doesn't, you know, like what you're doing, you just hands up, smile, say, just was just trying to get a job. I really understand. Yeah. You know, of course. Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, I've Don't done what you up. say. I go around and give out my headshots. And a lot of times it's a, it's a lonely, weird experience because you go to some offices and there's no one there. Or sometimes they have a box outside that you put your, you know, headshot in. It's always different. You never know. And you're kind of wandering around feeling like you said, not like you're not invited to the party, <laughs> but you got to do it somehow. How important, yeah. how important are relationships with agents uh, when being a casting director? Um, I think it's important, but you know, frankly, agents want to take you to lunch when you're doing a project that they like. Yeah. You know, they all, they all want to be your friend when you're doing a project. They all want to call you back when you're, doing a big project and when you're not doing a project they're not as interested in you they're all business so yeah i mean you know in general. They're, they're, busy. they're busy just trying to and i think for a lot of agencies except for the top agencies they're having a harder time paying the bills and so they're scrambling and they just don't have time to be you know openly you know friendly unless there's some work involved potential work for them yeah and you know actors who used to make you know character actors in their 40s and 50s who used to have a quote mm-hmm. of you know, 10, 15, $20,000 a week are being asked to work for scale plus 10. Everybody's being asked to work for scale plus 10 if you're not one of the stars. Um, and the same with television. You know, you're working for top of show most of the time. 
So it's it's and 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 even a lot of series roles that used to be series regular roles are now being turned into recurring roles because it's a way to save money. Mm-hmm. I don't particularly approve of it, but it's what they're doing, and it's how they how their stock prices go up. Yeah, you were a saying large- something that was very interesting. Um, you were saying get a picture of yourself that maybe your loved one t- t- took. And put that on, yeah. a, on as your headshot. Take that around. Something that, that really is you and not necessarily like a pre-produced headshot. And um, I say that because um, if you've looked at how we work on Breakdown Express, we can get for one role, we can get 3,000 photos. And unless you either know the person already, yeah. you're going to go through those. And you can eventually, there's no casting director that I know who is immune to snow blindness. I just think eventually you're going down this list of, na- a, of, of pictures yeah. and each one, has, you know, each page has a hundred pictures on it. You know, you can pick a, you can pick 25, 50 or a hundred. Yeah. I pick a hundred and you go through, you go through and that's one page. You've got another 24, pi- 24 pages to go. And each one has a hundred pictures on it. How would a human, and, and a lot of times there's a time limit. Yeah. So how do you go through all those? It's how impossible. can all of that? Yeah. So I don't understand why people keep picking these kind of generic photographs of themselves that aren't really going to help them to stand out. Mm-hmm. And standing out doesn't mean being, again, uh, gimmicky about it. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. a way to find a picture of yourself that is organic and that feels like an authentic picture of you, yeah. but isn't necessarily a typical headshot. Mm-hmm. I think the example I think I may have told you was when we were doing Point Break. Catherine Bigelow yeah. had, um, I had pulled a picture out of Lori Petty because she, I had already cast her in a picture of Paramount, a Stephen King movie. Yeah. So she wasn't, I knew she wasn't available for the dates. And I put it on a side table uh-huh. and Catherine came in to look at the new pictures that had come in. And she knew, we had a long table where all the pictures were. And for some weird reason on that particular morning, Catherine walks in and instead of going to the table, she goes to my desk. She picks up the picture of Lori and she goes, Who's this? I yeah. know it's Laura Petty, and I knew immediately. And she said, uh, "Well, that's who I want. That's it. That's her." <laughs> really, just like that. And just like that. Wow. She knew immediately it was Laurie. and it was because, and she had a picture, and Laurie's picture was not a typical picture. It was not a headshot. It was a full, almost of like from the knees to the head. Yeah. And then she had this angry look on her face. She was had a ripped T-shirt and ripped jeans, and didn't she look like Laurie? I mean, it was it was a really authentic picture so of Lori, but it wasn't a typical headshot. And anybody would have told you, you can't use this headshot. You can't use this as a headshot. We're telling her totally. at the time, you can't use a headshot, but she used it, and that's what got her the job. <laughs> Besides being a good actress, yes, of course, of course. But you know, you got to somehow get through. Got to get through. And you know, I find this it's it's totally human nature to to be drawn to the people that you're familiar with. And so, like, you know, I remember, you know, you mentioned the player's directory. You look through that, and it's like yeah. you see a famous person. You're like, oh, you know, just your eye is just drawn to them or somebody you know. Oh. Yeah. And then, like you said, there's a whole person there. You know what I mean? Like, when you right. see a picture of somebody you know, you get all these memories, and you, you see a three-dimensional person. You see all their different, you know, personalities and things like that. Um, whereas when you see, just see a flat headshot, that's all you see is a face. I even, you know... In auditioning, one, somebody once said to me, um, you know, when you go into the room, just be aware that you're not just the front of your face. You're also, you've got a three-dimensional being behind that face. You've got a brain, you've got organs, you've got all the, you know. And sometimes as actors, you go into a room, you're, you're like deer in the headlights, and you don't even realize you have more than just, you know, you, all, you just lose all your, your uh, ability to understand your place on the planet. You know, when you're you're doing an in-person audition, even if it's for film or TV, it's an act of theater. Yeah. A lot of times people forget that, that you have to keep them awake. And so you you can't just be filmic. Yeah. It's a weird combination. You have to be filmic. And yet for the people that are in the room that might make the decision to either, you know, send your tape on or not. Yeah. Those people in the room are your real live audience. Yeah. And so you have to find a way to toe the line between making the work filmic and make and making it also interesting enough that the person in the room responds to it. I've heard it said some people say it's more of a job interview than it is an audition. You mm-hmm. know, you got to bring yourself in there as yourself and so that they understand mm-hmm. something about you and who you for are. Years, yeah, for years I've been saying you have to be you have to walk in like you're the host of the party, and not one. the guest. The guest is there going, "Oh, you know, 
I like that. Is it okay if I use the bathroom? Is it okay if I get a glass of water? And the host walks in saying, how are you guys doing? Is there anything I can get you? Are you, are you okay? Yeah. And you can change the air in the room if you walk in with that attitude and you end up more confident, more relaxed. You do a better job. They feel like you're in charge. They, the people that are watching you feel like you really know how to take charge of the role, of the work, that they're not going to have to baby you or figure out how to, you know, give you the role, how, what to, how to do uh, yeah. the role properly. And in fact, a student I just had last week just emailed me yesterday that he used that and he got the role. Yeah. He, he just got booked it's yesterday. Just, he, really? That's so great. Yeah, I think it's That's, a big, yeah. I think it's a one good piece of advice. I think it's a great piece of advice because, you know, as actors, we have to take kind of ownership of the fact that we're the actor. And we're, mm -hmm. you know, schooled to be an actor. And so we know what we're doing. So we should go in there and provide, present it in that way. You know, there's a thing, there's an interview with Brian Cranston online where he says that, that where his, his career kind of changed when he realized that he was just going in there to show them his work. And he does the work as an actor. And then, you know, he leaves feeling like, oh, I did my job. And I wasn't necessarily, I wasn't in the mindset of like trying to give them what they want. And a lot of times they don't even know what they want. They just know it when they see it. Right? right. And yeah. sometimes you know, if you're doing your job, you're teaching them some, you're teaching them how to do the role. It goes like this. this is, I yeah. have a teacher to say it goes like this. Oh, yeah, yeah. The actor is saying, I know a little part. It goes like this. <laughs> yeah. To say it goes like this. Yeah. And a lot of times the, you, uh, you can show a writer um, moments in a scene that the writer didn't even realize he had put in there. Yeah. Yeah. That's fun. That's got to be fun uh, mm -hmm. for the writer. And a good director can do that too. A good director can show a writer that there are places in the scene where you can turn a corner, an yeah. emotional corner that the writer didn't even realize was there. Now, Rick, you're a wealth of information. Do you, um, do you teach actors or coach people? Uh, in the industry, is that something that you're doing now? I've done a little bit of coaching. I live in New York now, so I don't do as, as I don't really do it so much. And and I teach a class with one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. Yeah. One company. I just I don't want to overwhelm myself or anyone else. I'm not. I still enjoy teaching because I began as a teacher. Yeah. Um, and I like trying to find a way to integrate my knowledge, fading knowledge of literature. Um, <laughs> and how you analyze literature yeah, with um, something, with teaching actors how to take a scene and maybe figure out what to do with it. Yeah, I think that's good. Do you have a, a particular process that you give actors for when they get a script and then all the way to the casting room? And it depends on how much time there is. You know, when I teach yeah. the class one-on-one, if I teach the class at one-on-one, there's 16 yeah. actors. If I'm lucky and I can split people up into yeah. pairs, eight scenes in three hours is not really in, there's no time to to do a, have a process mm -hmm. except one or two quick kind of instant coffee like notes yeah um if i'm coaching an actor mm -hmm. then it's a whole different process and then i can or, or if i've got time like when i'm directing a play mm -hmm. i can actually you know work through a process and give specific notes try it three or four or five different ways yeah have someone do it the wrong way give them a note that might work for one moment in the scene mm -hmm. And it might not work for the rest of the scene, but if it works for one moment of the scene, then the actor knows to use that particular emotional key at that particular moment. He solved, it allows the actor to solve one moment, but it's, it's not an easy, it's not a fast process. No. The actor, as actors too, a lot of times in auditioning, we're trying to be perf give the perfect audition. And it seems to me that a lot of times when you watch audition tapes, because they have some of them online of people that actually won the role and you know, you know, you know their face. And a lot of times they'd screw up the lines. They, you know, make some kind of mistake or something like that. And it's not about being perfect, I, I take it. It's more about like hitting some kind of a moment that they want or that they've maybe never seen before or something that really sparks something, would you say? Yeah. I think that's true. I think it's a, a lot of things. I think it's having a certain amount of skill that you've learned from yeah. really training as an actor. Mm -hmm. It comes from curiosity, yeah. uh, being curious about human beings and learning from observing humans and wanting to be a little bit of a, it's not politically correct to be a voyeur these days. Mm -hmm. because, yeah. um, 
you know, yeah. men looking at women. Yeah. You, you, you'd be canceled. Men looking at men. Mm-hmm. Now, is, you know, pe- people make all kinds of presumptions about. It's so interesting, though, because, you know, for more than three seconds. But yeah, it, it reminds me of Catholic school, you know, a little bit. Well, the whole nature of watching a film or watching a television program is you're kind of spying on people. <laughs> you know, it's like a simulated spying on people, right? Right. And creative people learn by either experiencing something or by observing something in yeah. other people. Yeah. And so if you're not, if, if you're discouraged from observing other human beings, mm-hmm. it, it's, um, it, it's a problem. You know, it's a real problem. So I think you have to get out there and experience life. And you also have to be curious about other people. And also, I think in scenes, you have to be curious. Too many actors are worrying about their lines. And what I think they should be worrying about are the other person's lines. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, it's about good listening mm-hmm. and responding to what the, other, uh, what the other character is saying to you as compared to ejecting your, you know, taking your line and putting it out into the world. It's not about that. Yeah. It's really about reacting. Mm-hmm. Acting is reacting. So where do you want to go now, Rick, with your career? Are you looking towards directing more films? I'm writing and, direct, I'm writing and directing a lot more. Yeah. I've just finished casting a movie that's in post, and I have a, one or two projects that I might be casting in the near future, but mostly I'm enjoying writing and directing. Oh, that's and, great. Uh, that's really what I'm trying to do next. Yeah. And what medium do you want to kind of take on? Do you want to continue doing film, writing for film? Writing plays. I probably gonna. I think mostly it's going to be film. I don't mm-hmm. think that um, the theater in New York has evolved to a place that's not really so much in line with my aesthetic as much mm-hmm. as it, you know, what I write and what I create. Um, I could, but I don't really know that it's. I have a feeling that it's not really where um, where my work would be received mm-hmm. best. So I'm focusing on. And right now I'm just focusing on two movies. That's all. Two scripts that I'm working on. And um, and then what I'm writing is a variety of stuff. I'm writing a short story. I'm writing um, a, another play. Wow. So That's great. I'm, I'm and How I've do you... Got you've got a family. That's, yeah, yeah, that's a big thing. How do, you, yeah. um, how do you keep your head right in this industry? Do you do any kind of meditation or anything? This is something I ask most of my meditation. guests. Meditation every morning, um, except when our son's home. It's hard to do it. We have a nine-year-old son, so it's kind of hard to yeah, meditate, meditate when he's in the house. Yeah, um, We meditate, and therapy really helps. Therapy yeah. All the best people do it. Yeah. It's not easy sometimes. <laughs> Exercise. Yeah. Uh, eating right. And I find that exercise is a really great way to generate creativity. You know, I get all kinds of great ideas in the gym and I think it's just because the blood's flowing and the synapses are going rather than just Mm -hmm. kind of sitting. And sometimes I'll actually move around a lot and then sit for meditate. And there's like, it's amazing how the brain activates. Um, Just something that I've found recently. Also sleeping is good. Sleeping is good. I wish I could get more sleep. Well, sleeping is good because often a lot of of writers write in the morning Mm -hmm. when and their sleep is fresh or they write at night before they, oh, again, yeah. I think the dream world, the world of the unconscious is uh, a really good resource. And so the closer you are to that in one way or the other, whether it's at the front end at night or at the tail end in the morning, I think that uh, that helps your creativity. We have a viewer that said, Todd Lee, that said that he will give his brain a question at night and in the morning a lot of times he'll have the solution. Because your brain right. kind of processes it in that state. And lately I've been looking into brain waves, and it seems to be true that there's, you know, your brain waves speed up during the day, and you get into like a beta state that is not as conducive for um, learning new things, creativity, and that kind of stuff. And so when you meditate, sometimes it slows down your brain waves into, mm-hmm. say, an alpha state or something below that, uh, mm-hmm. which makes it so you're conscious of inside and outside at the same time, which is a, which is a pr- prime place to be for creativity. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. It's true. Yeah. It's true. You know, this has been a really fascinating conversation. I really appreciate it, Rick, you coming on the show. Um, Thank I'm going to end the show because we're running out of time, but 
Yeah, I really appreciate you speaking to us because, um, you know, you're, uh, you're an inspiration because I love what you say about um, not following the rules. I, I understand that a lot of times that doesn't mean, you know, being an asshole, but it means... Right. The charming way to do it. Yeah, and it means don't sit back and let people tell you what to do because a lot of times those people are just, well, I don't know. They, you know, they use the word gate, gatekeeper. But sometimes those people are just making rules for their own convenience because they can't handle, you know, um, maybe an onslaught of different people handing off their headshots. But one of the things that you find, I think, when you do what you're talking about is that you find that you might be the only one doing it because <laughs> other people don't want to step out of line. So it's not really a problem because you're the only one. And you and me, I'm rarely when I go around drop off headshots, do I see another actor? That's right. You know? So it's not that big of an imposition, but that's kind of a secret, I guess. Yeah, do, do you have to, I, I want to just mention one thing quickly. Yeah. There's supposed to be a story about Picasso, that when Picasso wanted to sell a painting, he had a studio that had a side, a side office, a side little side studio. Yeah. And when he wanted to sell a painting, he would take the paintings that he wanted to sell and he would put them in this small studio and he would leave the door ajar. They would bring in the, the clients, he would bring in the, the buyers. Yeah. And as you bring them into the main studio, he would walk over to the door and pull it closed. And they'd say, what's in there? And he'd say, no, you don't want to know what's in there. They, that's not for you. And inevitably, awesome. they would say, no, 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 I want to go in there. And they'd go in. So he was a little, a little bit of the con man. Oh, it's so funny. So, yeah. And I think that's just a really important lesson for yeah. anyone who's creative. Yeah. You got to be, you come in with your script and you're like, here, I'd like you to read the script. And then you have like a script behind your back. <laughs> They're like, well, wait a minute. What's that behind your back? Oh, that's nothing. That's, don't worry about that. Read this script. Don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, it really helps. I love that. All right. Well, we'll end it on that note. Thanks so much, Rick. And uh, have a great, great day. Stay safe and healthy. 